All right, there's that QR code one more time. I don't, I actually, I'm not even sure it's working at the moment, but hopefully it is. It does? Okay, all right. I'm stealing your seat, Michelle. All right. So the faithful worship God alone. I, was, I need a comma in there, so just put a comma after. The faithful worship God alone, okay? Um, mental note there. We are the, who are we? We are the faithful. We are the church, but we, the church is faithful. The faithful worship God alone. Now, there are things that continually compete for our worship. We worship what we love. And we are called to worship God alone. And that means if we love other things, like my wife, I do not worship my wife, but I love my wife. But I, I thank God every day for my wife. And I respect and see where that good gift came from. You see? So we need to ask ourselves, what are the things that I worship? And when we make the thing more important than God, then that is worship. Okay? Sin is a form of worshiping an object. You're making that object or that action more important than God, in that moment, okay? So ask yourselves today, what do I worship? Or even who do I worship, right? Because we do worship both persons and things, and we are called to worship who? God alone. He alone deserves our worship. No one else does. Worship God alone. The faithful worship God alone. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. And uh, I, I encourage you, the, the verse will be on the screen, but I encourage you to uh, have a Bible because uh, I'm going to be referring back to the verse several times through the sermon, and then the verse will no longer be on the screen because I'll have a slide for what I'm talking about. So, if you don't have a Bible uh, with you, there is a Bible in the pew uh, in front of you. Let's look at verse 12. But before we do that, let's remind ourselves of Jesus' simple outline of Revelation. Write the things which was seen, Jesus glorified. Write the things what is, which is the church, the seven churches in Asia, representing the whole church. And what will be Jesus' judgment in the seven seals, trumpets, bowls, which is Revelation 4 through 22. So we are in Revelation 2. So we are in the time of the church, which is what is, what is. And so here we are. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. The church is where? It's in Pergamum. 
It's in Pokemon. On the map, it's that top one. Uh, I don't know if you can see it, but it's the top one kind of by the coast, by the mountains there up, at the top. Pokemon. It's in Toki, modern day uh, Toki, uh, modern day uh, Borgamon is the name of the town that's close by. What do we need to know? Well, the legend of Pokemon sounding places Zeus, Athena, Heracles in the city's pedigree. The myth claims that as a boy, the city's Telephus was put into a chest with his mother and floated across the open sea to the mouth of the Caicos River, where Heracles and Athena provided him with sustenance. Really deep roots into the Greek gods and the Greek cult. The city had numerous temples dedicated to Greek deities, Athena, Zeus. You see the temple, the altar of Zeus there in the background, Dionysus. I, oh, I messed this up last night, and I'm going to ask Asclepius. Yes. <laughs> Hera, Dementor, Posanophy, uh, Persephone. There we go. I am not good with names, so this is torture. And I even practiced. So it's bad. I'm terrible. Persephone, as well as the Egyptian deities of Seraphis, Isis, and uh, Herapocrates. Ah, excuse me. Good thing I don't have to use a ton of those. Zeus, I got it. (laughs) So Christians at Pergamon experienced a great pressure due to the city's heavy focus on traditional Greco-Roman religious life. Also, the imperial... The Roman imperial cult had a huge influence, which is emperor worship. Okay? So what this sharp two-edged sword, what, what is talking about here, the sword? Well, if we look, the word of God, and we look at Isaiah 49.2, it's talking about the Messiah, and God putting the word, his word, in the Messiah's mouth to speak the truth. We go to Ephesians 6.17, and, and we are equipped with the sword of the... Spirit, which is the word of God, okay? And then we go to Hebrews 4.12, and we see that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting, uh, dividing soul and spirit, and discerning the intents of the heart. The word of God, this two-edged sword, and uh, we got swords, I know, plural, coming out of his mouth, but we get the idea because we had a two-edged sword later on, earlier in the drawings, okay? I'm just trying to show that he's speaking. There are two words for swords in the Greek describing two different kinds of swords. The first one is a romphion, a broad sword. The, the Septuagint has the angel of the Lord carrying this kind of sword. You can see it there in the background. It's a big 200 sword made for hacking and slashing to destroy Roman legions. The other one is a marchera, a Roman short sword. In Revelation, it's used by those waging war against each other. It's about 16 inches long. Dan made one a couple years ago, a model. But you can see that little short double-edged sword there at the bottom. Revelation 2.13, Jesus begins with his commendation. He says, I know where you dwell. 
I know you're in a difficult place, for where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you do not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. So what is this reference to Satan's throne? Well, what is it talking about? Well, I think in a general sense, we live in a world that Satan rules, right? Uh, until God, Christ, fully returns, right? So in a sense, we all dwell well. Satan dwells. We're all in a place of brokenness. We're all in uh, opposition. But in Pergamum, he says those Satan's throne and, and those three good options that he could be uh, talking about, uh, I think really good options. There's more, but I don't have time to talk about them all. So these are the three best. If you want more, then you can go read more and um, disagree or say those more, Pastor. Yeah, those more, but I don't have time. One, it's the altar of Zeus who possesses, poses, not possesses, who poses as the most high. Zeus, in Greek mythology, is the biggest, baddest, dudist god, right? He, he, is the, he says, I'm the most high. So it would have been e easy for s Christians to say, yeah, he, he's uh, equating him with Satan. Because what does Satan do? He wants to be like the most high, right? El Shaddai. So, uh, so the first one is it's the altar of Zeus, okay? The great altar to honor Zeus was built by Emenus and Attalus, the seconds, okay? It's huge. It would have been the most visible monument to the people approaching the city. You would have seen it as a throne as you walked up to the city. It's huge. The altar is preserved in remarkably good condition and displayed in the Pergamum Museum in Berlin. You want to go to Berlin? We'll go look at it. Be fun, okay. Its decorations depict scenes from a battle between the Olympian gods and the giants, as well as scenes from the life of Telephus, the city's legendary founder. Okay, so it could be that. I mean, it's a massive and it, uh, s archaeological site, uh, a visible thing in that time, and it looks like a throne, a bigger than life throne. Second, it's the Roman imperial cult. Second, it's the Roman imperial cult. This cult demands emperor worship. It demands you to worship Caesar as a god, to say Caesar is Lord, to say Caesar is the Savior. It demands this. And we know who is Lord. Jesus is Lord. God is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And Revelation pre uh, presents Rome reborn in some sense. And Satan giving Rome, i.e. the beast, his throne. Let's look at Revelation 13, 2. It says, and the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear and its mouth was like a lion. Lion's mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to the beast, the, to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and a great authority. And if we look at Revelation 12, we see that the dragon is Satan. 
and Satan gives his throne to the beast. And the beast represents a reborn throne, okay? So the imperial cult directly challenges Christianity, which forbids worship of any human other than Jesus as Lord and Savior, both used as titles of the emperor. Refusal to pay public homage to Caesar as a deity would not have only not been considered only irreligious, or you're just weird, not, not that, no, but also treasonous. What do we do with treason people typically? Maybe not. We kill them. We hang them, right? Often resulting in execution. Often resulting in the Christians martyrdom. Antipias, my faithful martyr. That's what it means when it says faithful witness. The Roman cult, the imperial cult is pressing on them. They cannot buy and sell. They cannot participate in the Roman economy without saying Caesar is Lord. They can't do that. So Jesus, third option, is Jesus is referring both of these forces aligned. And in a sense, all of the forces aligned with Satan and against his people. I think that's the best op option. I think he's playing off this image of Satan's throne, uh, Zeus's altar. I think he's, he's, he's playing off the, the oppression of the imperial cult and the idea that the, the throne is given to the beast, to, to Rome. And even in today, right, we, we have this idea of who is the prince of the power of the air. Satan. Satan is the prince of the power of the air, according to Paul. Right? Until Christ comes and rules and reigns on that second coming, Satan has some leeway on this planet. That's part of the reason why there's so much stuff going on. I mean, we contribute to it. I, I mean, you know. But, but Satan is also playing a factor, the, the enemy, his forces. It's, it's not one entity. It's a whole legion of them. They're aligned against God's people. But God is greater. Amen? God is bigger than, than any of that. And we can trust in God alone. So Jesus' commendation. Here we see the uh, amphitheater, uh, Colosseum where Christians would have died for what they believe as a sport, as entertainment. I just want to make sure you understand that. It was entertainment. And they didn't just kill Christians for entertainment. They killed each other for entertainment. It's called the gladiator games. They would kill, they would, yeah, it was brutal what they did at the, in these theaters, Colosseum. So Jesus' commendation, what Jesus has to say to the church in Pergamum 
he says to us today, he says, they held fast and did not deny the faith even unto death. They held fast. They did not deny the faith even unto death. And I know, I know oftentimes we're saying, oh my word, I don't know if I could hold fast. Oh my word, I don't know what I would do in that situation. I would, I might just not say anything. I, I don't know. I'd find some way out, right? We ask, may I be asking myself, how can I hold fast? And I would say part of that holding fast begins today. It begins in the moments. It begins in the little things of where do I choose now to worship God alone? What in my life right now am I, am I giving to him and saying, no, you are enough, you are sufficient, I'm going to worship you alone and trust you in this and be obedient to your word in this. Those areas in all our lives that we're saying, no, this is my little space, I don't want to worship you alone. I want to do what I want to do. I have this circumstance. God, you just don't understand. Your word of God does not apply to me in this situation. And I choose to worship myself or worship my comfort or worship whatever instead of you. Some of us are in situations that we feel boxed in because of the decisions that we've made have led us to a place. And if you're in that place, God has provided a way out. Don't be like Peter. Oh, I never deny you. I got it. I'm strong. I got it together. If that's you this morning, I'm praying for you. Because we need to depend on who? God. We need to depend on God alone. The faithful worship God alone. They look for to him alone to provide. Does he provide through all kinds of means? Yes, he does. But we worship God alone. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Take heed. If you think you got it together, take heed lest you fall because it's not on you. Amen? It is on the faithfulness of God. So no temptation has overtaken you. No trial has overtaken you. That is not common to man. Everybody goes through trials. Everybody's tempted. God is faithful, church. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to be faithful. Would be another way to say that. You may be able to endure it. So where does your faithfulness come from? It comes from the faithfulness of Jesus. And when we are faithless, he is faithful. We can trust in what he's doing. Revelation 2, 14 is rebuke. This one did not transfer all my highlights. Did it, well, some of them are highlighted. Oh, well. G 
Jesus says, I have a few things against you. You have some. I think that word some is very important. There are faithful people in this church, but some in the church there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols. So they might what? Eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. Now, food sacrificed to idols, uh, you know, we don't have a one-to-one equivalency in this stuff. Because we do not live in a pagan culture. We live in a culture that has Judeo-Christian roots. And many of these practices, if they're done, they're not done in public. But in Pergamum, they were done in public. And you needed to participate in them to be able to buy, sell, and trade. And if you didn't, then you couldn't buy, sell, and trade. They would have feasts. To their gods, and you were to partake in the feast so that then you could sell your goods later. They would have sexual rights for the fertility of the fields, and you had to participate in those sexual rights to be able to sell your produce. We do not have that kind of thing, but we do have forms of this kind of thing. So Jesus' rebuke is that they practice the teaching of Balaam. Balaam, uh, we all know Balaam because he is the one that was riding the talking donkey. Yeah, yeah, because the angel of the Lord with that big sword was going to take off Balaam's head. Okay, and the donkey saved his life. He's like, don't you know that you have an adversary? (laughs) In front of you, right? And the Balaam story has so many uh, twists and turns, and this figure of Balaam, who's not, who's a prophet, but not a prophet of God, and and but yet God speaks through him. That's a whole nother story, and I don't have time to go into that. I would encourage you to go to Numbers starting in 22 through 31. You can read all about Balaam, and then come back to me with all kinds of questions because you will. Balaam instructs Balak, well, you know, I can't curse them. He's trying to, every time he tries to curse Israel, he blesses Israel. God takes over and makes him say a blessing. And he's doing it for money. He's doing it for gain. So he says to Balak, I can't bless them, but I know what you can do. If you entice them to participate in your uh, gods and your riots, uh, rights, then, uh, then God will punish them. And that's exactly what Balak does. While Israel lived in Shittim, or Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the, the people to sacrifice to their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked itself to Baal, Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Behold, Moses says in Numbers 31, Balaam's advice caused the people of Israel to act, build these, talking about women in the a previous verse, 
on Balaam's advice, caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord to incite a inc against the Lord in the incident at Peor. So the plague came upon the congregation of the Lord. Who sent the plague? The Lord. Punishing or disciplining his church for the sin that they had or the 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 Israelites there. So why do they practice the teaching of Balaam? Why do they think this is a good idea, right? Why are some of them doing this? Because the pressure is tremendous. They cannot buy and sell without doing these things. They do not fit into culture without doing these things. And so they choose not to worship God alone, but to mix and match and find a place where they are comfortable. They do it so they can participate in programs, activities as a community, their feasts and their sexual rights. They need to belong so that they, they think they need to belong so that they can survive. Many times we do things uh, in our own lives, sins in our own lives. We do it because we think it will help us survive. And sometimes we do it because we want to belong, right? Those day, times when some of us might be tempted to go out to the bar and sit there with all the guys and have not one drink, not two drinks, not three drinks, right? But to get drunk with the guys. Why? Because we want to belong. There's times when we enter into relationships and we do things that are not proper. Maybe we're dating and we, we decide to, uh, to engage in sexual activity and not honor the marriage bed. Why do we do that? Because we want to belong. We want safety. We want security. And we're not looking to God alone for that. We're looking into the community, and we're trying to find it there. So it's, very, it's not the same in all culture because we do not need to offer sacrifices to exist. But oftentimes we sin and we do things because we want to belong. And God is calling us out to be in the world, but not of the world, right? He's calling us out of that, to love the world, but not to be like the world. And so that's why in 1 Corinthians 10, 14, in the same passage where God is saying, I provided you a way out, he says right here, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from that bar if you can't have, if you can't say no. Flee from that relationship if you can't set boundaries. Flee from all terms of sin. Don't go there. Don't put yourself in that space. For we worship God alone. Don't think you can be strong enough to stand. Don't beat yourself up because you made a mistake. Who is God? 
God is God. God is the one who forgives. God is the one that makes it right. Flee idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, and that is talking about the cup of communion that we will be partaking of next week. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ and, and his work participating in that? You are forgiven. Say, I am forgiven. You are forgiven. You all love. That blood demonstrates God's love for us. And the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Yahweh embodied, come to us, to live with us, to, to die for us, to, to sympathize and empathize with us. Because there is one bread, there is Jesus, one bread. We who are many are one body. For we all partake of one bread. We all partake of Jesus. We've all been baptized into Jesus. When we confess Jesus as Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we are baptized in G into Jesus, sealed by the Holy Spirit, and have God's name written on us. We are Yahweh's people. So consider the people of Israel, not those who eat the sacrifice, the participants in the altar. When you would go and make a sacrifice, it wasn't like, oh, there it all is, and I don't get any. No, you took pack a piece of that lamb, a piece of that, that sacrifice, and you sat down in the temple courts with your family, and you ate it. In the presence of Yahweh. God likes eating. God likes the communion that eating brings. What do I imply then, Paul says? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that the pagans sacrifice, pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to participate with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So, in summary of all this passage, Paul says, so whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for God's glory. Do it all for him. And if it doesn't glorify God, stop, desist, repent, change your direction. If it doesn't glorify God, stop. Worship him alone. So how are we tempted to fit in with all culture in ways that does not glorify God? There's so many ways. And, it, and for each one of you, it's going to be a little different because it's how you are tempted. Maybe you're tempted with self-criticism, and all you do is just 
talk bad about yourself all the time. And you don't think God loves you because you're not good enough to be loved. But he has given you worth. He has given you value. There's so many different things that it could be. Maybe you have financial insecurities. And that's driving you to worship other things besides trusting in God alone. Maybe you have relationship insecurities. And that's, that's pressuring you into doing things that, that aren't glorifying to God. You know what it is. I don't have to tell you. What you do have to do is take the time to process and say, Jesus, your rebuke is that I am not worshiping you alone. Please help me know how to worship you alone. Revelation 2.15 says, uh, so also you have some uh, who hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans. This so uh, could also be translated in the same way. You also have some who hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Now, what's with these Nicolaitans? They came up twice. We don't have a whole lot of data points on them. Um, what we do have uh, is the Holy Church Fathers trying to uh, associate with the poor, uh, Nicolaitis in Acts, and there's no tie whatsoever that we could actually make empirically by, with data, but the, some of the Holy Church Fathers just uh, relate the names there and think, oh, this is it. I don't agree with that. Um, I don't think there's any biblical data or historical data for that. But in the study of words, which is called etymology, I almost want to make you say that word with me, but I'm not going to. Just file that away. Etymology is the study of words. Nicolaitans and Balaam. Nicolaitans is in Greek, okay? Balaam is Hebrew. It's a Hebrew word, okay? Have related meanings, okay? Nicolaitans means he who overcomes the people. That's what it means. And Balaam means he who consumes the people. Okay? So you see how they're interrelated? Not exact, but they're interrelated. So perhaps Jesus is saying it two different ways for emphasis. What is he emphasizing? Don't do this. Don't, don't do this. Don't seek comfort. Don't seek fulfillment in anywhere else besides me. Worship God alone. That's what he's emphasizing. Worship me. Don't be like Balaam. Don't, don't do Balaam's teachings who, who got lured away to other things, to the, the cares of the world. Worship me. And the solution, if you're not, if you, if you are finding a sin that you are worshiping and rather than God, the solution is repent. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. With the sword of my mouth. So Jesus' solution, church, he has a solution. Repent. Torn from your sin. And I got good news for you. Your sin is forgiven. 
already, past, present, and future, it's forgiven. And we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. And this confession is not owning forgiveness. It is aligning ourselves with the truth of God's word. I'm wrong. You're right. I stand now in your truth. Will you confess? Will you turn from your sin and agree with God that it is wrong and ask him to save you from it? For he is faithful. He has provided a way out of it. Will you take it? Or are you comfortable? And that's where you want to be. A lot of times I'm comfortable, and that's where I want to be. I'm guilty of this. But he's calling us to worship him alone. And if we don't, if these individuals who follow the teachings of Balaam, who value God, uh, the things of the world more than God, his judgment is the war with the sword of his mouth. Well, what is that? Well, I think that's Revelation 19, 15. Meaning that if you are doing that habitually and you don't really care and you're not wanting to change, maybe you're not of us. Maybe, maybe you need to do some heart searching. Because those who he makes war on with the sword of the mouth is the nations who have come against him in Armageddon to attack Jerusalem, and he comes down from heaven to Jerusalem, and he wipes them out. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. Verse 17, he who has an ear, let him hear. I don't see any earless people out there. To hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone, and no one knows except who him who receive except the one who receives it. So today, hear Jesus' words spoken to you by the Spirit. He's calling you to repent. He's calling you to worship him alone. Forgiveness is there. It's available. It's, it's been given to all of us. May we step into that reality. That TV is getting hot and blinking. Sorry about that. Secondly, we are more than conquerors in God's love. We're not conquerors by our bootstraps. Remember Romans 8, 37. It's talking about tribulation. It's talking about martyrdom. And he says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Jesus who loved us. 
It's God's love that brings us through. It's God's love that causes us to persevere. All right, what is the hidden manna? What is the white stone? What name is written on the stone? Well, you got to come Wednesday night and find out about all these rewards of Jesus because I am out of time. So come, let us worship Jesus alone.